Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about strategies, campaigns, and tactics, and how these three levels of the operational art are connected, and how all three of them should be coordinated in order to achieve our ultimate goals. Whether we are trying to accomplish something in our personal lives, or whether we're trying to do something in our work lives, or in any aspect of our lives, it's essential and critical to have an understanding of strategy, of the use of campaigns, and of the use of tactics. Well, what do I mean by this? You know, in I think it was January 2nd, several days ago, I did a post on my website about Frank Sinatra, and I talked a little bit about how sometimes the world is not quite ready for a person yet. Sometimes the right stars have not come into alignment, and the right conditions are not there, and that you have to be patient, and you have to bide your time and manage your time. Well, there's another rule that maybe doesn't go along with that, but it's certainly a corollary to it. And that rule is you have to be pursuing the right strategies and the right operational arts. You have to be doing the right sort of campaigning. You have to have the right strategy and you have to be using the right tactics. Because very often what we see is a person or persons will have a goal that they have in mind, but they're pursuing a strategy and an operational ta- an operational campaign that is not in accordance with that grand strategy. So we have to make sure that our goals and our tactics and our strategies are in alignment. Because if they're not, what we're going to be doing is spinning our wheels, exerting effort to very little result. So that's important. Let's talk first about the highest level. Uh, the strategic level. And this is the level of strategy. Or if we want to get very technical, we could say grand strategy. And this is nothing more than examining what we want the, the end state to be, the goal. And, you know, in my job, I have to meet with a lot of clients as an attorney. And sometimes if someone comes into my office and has a convoluted and complex problem and sits in a chair in front of me and blathers on about the problem, I will look at the person and I'll say, what's your goal? I'll say, Mr. XYZ, what is your goal? And you'd be surprised how often I get back a look of a deer in the headlights. Because many people don't give this consideration much thought. They're more interested and are more absorbed in the minutiae, in the forest, and are missing the big picture. They don't really know what they want to do. They don't really know what their goal is. Well, they have to think long and hard about what their goal is. So it's important right off the bat to decide what is what is our goal? What what do what what are we trying to do? Okay? We can't craft a strategy and a campaign plan and tactics until we know what the hell it is we're trying to do. So that's why it's so important at the very first stages of the game to sit down and put pen to paper if you need to and decide what it is you're trying to do. 
What is your goal? You know, there was a great book that I once saw in a bookstore. Um, it's probably still in print if you really want to, to find it. Great little investment book. And it wasn't so much entertaining for the investment advice in it, but it was great as a book of practical philosophy. And, and I don't I don't remember the, the name of the author. I suppose I could look it up. But the title of the book was, Do You Want to Make Money or Do You Want to Fool Around? Do You Want to Make Money or Do You Want to Fool Around? And it was a great book. It was some written by some veteran investment advisor. And he had all these little anecdotes of how he met with clients and his experiences with people who, in many cases, are more interested in fooling around than they are in knuckling down and figuring out what their goal is. They're unwilling to do the hard work for the long haul. And that happens so often in life. So again, the number one thing, figure out what the goal is. And once we know what the goal is, then we can decide what the strategic objectives are going to be. We can craft a strategy. Okay. And a strategy is nothing more than a broad concept of how we want to go about achieving our goal. All right. And the next level below that is the level of the campaign. And this is a level of the operational art that nobody ever talks about. Everybody talks about strategy. Everybody talks about tactics. But nobody ever talks about campaigning. Campaigning is that mid-level of the operational art between the the high level, the, the high tier strategic level, and the micro level of tactics. But campaigns really are where the rubber meets the road, where we make our bread and butter. And that uh, the, the campaign is, is basically a, a sequence of events designed to further the acquisition of our strategic objectives. Okay, tactics are micro level stuff. Campaigns are more higher level operational type things. So what we're going to do right now is talk about the elements of the campaign, what are the basic features of them, and how we can best use them to our advantage. The first thing we need to do when we're talking about campaigning is figure out or keep in mind our strategic aim and our end state. Now we should already have a general idea of what these are because we know what our goals are. Again, strategic aim and end state. And keeping those in mind will help us keep ourselves focused on the ultimate goal, which should always be in mind. <clears throat> now, there's a couple other things at the campaign level that we also need to be aware of. And there are, there are basically three of them. The first is having some sort of campaign plan. We, you have to have an overall plan if you are trying to conduct a campaign Okay, um, you you have to have some sort of plan written out. Even though it's a platitude that plans never survive the onset of operations, you're better off having something written out than nothing. Okay, so you have to have a plan. And then the next thing is sequencing. Sequencing. I want you to remember that word, sequencing. What is sequencing? Sequ sequencing is nothing more than deciding in what order in what order we want to have our events fall one after the other in the operation of our campaign. Okay, 
You know, if we're talking about a military campaign, it's the sequencing, you know, do you want to initiate ground operations or air operations or naval operations, or do you want to do them all concurrently? These are the types of considerations that need to come into play when we're talking about sequencing. All right. And the last element is direction. Is direction. In what direction are we trying to exert our force? The physicists tell us that a vector is a quantity or is a is a value in physics that has both magnitude and direction. Magnitude and direction. And we can think of direction as sort of like a vector. You know, what in what to what direction? Where are where are we exerting our force? Because force always has to be applied in some direction. It doesn't just exist as, at, at a point on a plane. It has to go somewhere, or else it's not force. And the other factors in the conduct of a campaign that we that we should be keeping in mind are these value type features, like the use of maneuver, mobility, tempo, intelligence, use of intelligence, gathering intelligence and employing intelligence, surprise, logistics, and leadership. Okay, there are seven of them, and I'll repeat them one more time. Maneuver, mobility, tempo, intelligence, surprise, logistics, and leadership. These are the factors that enable us to carry out our campaign. So again, we've got a three-tiered system. We've got strategy at the top, we've got campaigns in the middle, and we've got tactics at the bottom. I'm not going to talk very much about tactics in this podcast because it's a very exhaustive subject, and tactics are going to vary greatly from project to project, and they're so micro-level that it's, it's, it's difficult to give general guidance on uh, tactics since they're going to vary so greatly from one person's situation to the next. But the key thing is to make sure all three levels are coordinated and in conjunction with each other and are well-suited to the attainment of our stated goals and objectives. Okay, you may think that's common sense, but it really isn't. Because what we're going to do now is give some historical examples of situations where military operations were not uh, structured in accordance with ultimate goals. And again, these are my own opinions, and there are listeners who may disagree with some of my conclusions here, but that's fine. Um, uh, I at least want to try to throw out some examples for general consideration here. The first historical example I want to talk about is uh, the the example of uh, two generals in the U.S. Civil War in the 1860s, uh, the, the two top generals, uh, General Grant, U.S. Grant for the Union, and General Lee for the Confederacy. And you know, the, the stereotype here of these two, great, these two great men is that Grant was nothing more than a, a, a plodding butcher who just wore down his enemies with attrition, and Lee was this master, brilliant tactician and strategist who just happened to be uh, overwhelmed by material and men. And like all stereotypes, I guess there's some truth to that, but a closer look at the historical record paints the picture in a different light. You know, if we look at 
what the the union's goals were. They knew they had to subdue the Confederacy. They knew they had to grind down the Confederate armies, and they had to conquer a vast amount of territory if they wanted to win the war. They had to take an offensive posture. They couldn't just sit around and wait for something to happen. They couldn't just hope to execute a few fast maneuvers and it would all be over. They had to actually wear down, grind down Lee's military forces and conquer areas. And Grant's strategy and campaigns were in direct uh, you know, concord with this ultimate goal. All of his all of his military strategies and all of his campaigns were in perfect alignment with this goal. He did exactly that. He sought after uh, Lee's army, and he ordered all of his subordinate generals to fix on Lee's army and conquer areas of the Confederacy and grind down Lee's army so that a victory could be attained. Now, you would think that, you know, considering the, the Confederacy's goals of becoming an independent nation, they would have they would have pursued, you would have thought they would have pursued a strategy that would have been more of a delaying type of, um, a delaying type of strategy where they would want to prolong the war for as long as possible, maybe adopt almost a guerrilla posture type of, uh, type of strategy and try to wear down the Union armies to a frazzle so that they could eventually exhaust the population of the North and force some sort of negotiated sentiment, sentiment, uh, settlement. And there were some Confederate generals who wanted to do just this. I think Johnston was one of them who advocated this sort of uh, wearing down of the Union forces. But in practice, it never happened that way. For some reason, Lee, for all of his vaunted tactical brilliance, he was never able to resist a direct Napoleonic confrontation with his enemies Um you know, I think the best example of this is his invasion of the North, uh, you know, this big demonstration of trying to invade Pennsylvania. And one reads these things and says to himself, what the hell was he doing? Why would he, why would a, a general with limited, man, with limited manpower, limited material, limited supply lines, why would he be embarking on these somewhat foolhardy uh, demonstrations? Why would he not uh, try to uh, simply just run around the countryside or at least wear down the Union armies as much as he could and drag the war out as long as possible. Uh, so th- there doesn't seem to be much uh, practical realization of the limitations that he had. I think he certainly was a was a brilliant strategist, was a brilliant tactician, and he was a great general and a great man, but in some ways I think his his uh, his campaigning and his his overall strategy were flawed. And, you know, there's a great example of, of a, of a um, I remember reading in, in the, uh, the history of the American Revolutionary War, one of the, uh, the, um, one of the American, uh, the, the revolutionary generals, Nathaniel Green, this was 1781. He led his adversary, Lord Corn- Cornwallis, on a wild goose chase through the North Carolina countryside, uh, permitting Cornwallis to chase him, chase him down, and he only gave battle when he knew that the British forces were good and exhausted, and he did just that. And even though the the, the even though Cornwallis beat him at the, on the field, 
He, Cornwallis was so exhausted that he had to withdraw his forces to the coast, so Greene ended up winning simply by pursuing a strategy and a campaign plan that matched his capabilities, his logistics, and his ultimate objectives. And this was really where the generals of the American Revolution were, were so capable. They could not stand against the British in a fair fight, uh, you know, square to square, uh, because the British in those days were, were simply the world's most powerful military and naval force. So what they did was simply drag out the war for as long as possible on sea and on the land in the hope that foreign intervention would happen and in the hope that the British would get tired of the war and seek a negotiated settlement, both of which precisely happened. You know, other examples of strategy and campaigning not being in alignment with objectives was the British invasion of Gallipoli in 1915 during the First World War. And this was a very tragic, uh, very, very tragic episode in First World War. Well, everything in, the, in First World War military history is tragic. Uh, but the Gallipoli campaign was was especially painful. And I was reminded of it. Uh, I got the idea to talk about it in this podcast. Uh, over the weekend, I saw a very good movie directed by Russell Crowe, uh, the Australian actor, and it was called The Water Diviner. And it's uh, based on a true story, I guess, about a Australian father who travels to Turkey to find out what happened to his three sons who were killed uh, in the Dardanelles during the Gallipoli campaign. And for those who don't know, I'll give a very brief, very, very brief recap. The Gallipoli campaign was an attempt by the by the by actually the idea supposedly was Winston Churchill's and who was the first Lord of the Admiralty at the time in London and his plan was to knock Turkey or knock the Ottoman Empire out of the war, which was a German ally, by invading through the Bosphorus, by by running a fleet of ships through the Dardanelles and to attack the Ottoman capital, Constantinople, and hopefully uh caused such chaos and disruption that Turkey would fall apart and um, and sue for peace. Now, you know, we can debate whether the, the idea... Uh, there, there are two schools of thought on, on Gallipoli. There are those who think that it was a great, brilliant plan, but it was improperly executed. And then there are those who say that it was, by nature, a flawed plan. It was a ridiculous, a stupid plan that was doomed to failure from the start. Personally, I take the latter view. I think that um, I think that uh, it, I think the British were deluding themselves to think that they could simply cause the Ottomans to capitulate just by running a fleet of ships, uh, rickety old ships, through the Dar- through the Dardanelles, and simply just try to bombard the capital, and that some would somehow uh, uh, knock Turkey out of the war. The Turks uh, were defending their own land. It was their country. They turned out to be very, very staunch and resolute fighters, very capable fighters, and um, it turned out to be a disaster for the British and also for the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps uh, uh, officers and men who happened to to be there. It was a complete disaster, a, a textbook example of how an amphibious landing should not be done. In any case, it, if nothing else, it was a perfect example of in my view of a campaign that was not in accord, that was that was designed and carried out 
without proper thinking and without the proper goals in mind. Uh, it was a delusion rather than a plan based on actual fact. And I think um, uh, those who uh, at, the, at the Admiralty who are responsible for the plan have to bear their share of blame for its failure. And, the, you know, the, the British, and, and how we know that it wasn't just a, a, an accident, the British did the, almost the exact same thing, which is almost never talked about now, at Archangel in 1918, when they tried to land a military force to try to overthrow the Bolshevik government in Moscow. And it's a very little-known military operation, but um, you, can, you can look it up. It's, the story is out there. Uh, when the Bolsheviks took over the Russian government in 1917 with the help of the German army, the British were desperate to try to keep the Russians in the war. And the plan was to land a, a, uh, a naval force, a military force at Archangel, and to have them join up with local militias and, and, uh, and forces there and try to march on the capital, none of which happened. The, the, the force that ended up landing at Archangel was, was woefully inadequate, and nothing really came of it. It, was, it turned out to be just an embarrassment. And uh, again, a, certainly a sound, and, and that was an example of a military operation that actually might have worked. Uh, from what I've read, they were Russia was in chaos at the time, and the Bolsheviks would not have been able to really put up much of a defense if a determined and committed landing had been done with sufficient force. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and there's nothing more difficult in this world than trying to execute a sound military campaign. All right, so let's recap and summarize what we've talked about. We've talked about the three levels of the operational art, the strategic level, the campaign level, and the tactical level. And we've focused our discussion on campaigning. And we've talked about what are the elements of campaigning. It's having a strategic aim, keeping an end state in mind, and making use of sequencing, directions, and having a campaign plan. And we've also talked about the elements or the factors of campaigning, which are maneuver, mobility, tempo, intelligence, surprise, logistics, and leadership. So again, I hope you'll keep these factors in mind, and I hope you can download this podcast and listen to it uh, as many times as you need to if you really want to uh, internalize and to uh, properly comprehend a lot of these concepts because there's a lot of terminology that we've thrown out here. And I think by doing this, you'll be able to be more successful in your own uh, programs and the things that you want to do in life in whatever aspect of life you decide to do them in. But again, it starts out with having a goal. Find out what your goal is and craft your plan, craft your strategy, craft your campaigning, and craft your tactics around that goal. And don't be afraid to modify If you start out things and things aren't going well, make adjustments, change course, correct as you go, and you'll have a better chance of getting where you want to be. That will conclude our podcast for tonight. I'm Quintus Curtius. This podcast was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Productions. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, I would ask that you go to the iTunes store and rate the podcast, even if it's only one sentence. It helps other people find it. And until next time, I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.